The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. In this episode of Ask Harry, Harry continues his conversation with Chad Gutner of Samuel Financial on the subject of retirement planning. So, so how is an employee to know so, what, the, what the costs are? Because it sounds like the, some of it's more transparent than other parts of it, and, yeah. and there's lots of different pieces. Yeah, I, there is a documentation that, that uh, provides the information to the employee that's required to be sent every year. Uh, that is, uh, I'll, I'll leave the technical term on the sidelines and give you the layman's term. It's just a participant fee disclosure. Mm-hmm. It's produced annually. It's generally sent out around this time of year. Um, and it tells you uh, a few things. Number one, what the costs are that the employees pay for, mm-hmm. um, including the mutual fund costs, what yeah. the costs are uh, from the um, from from a transactional point of view, so if you take a loan or you take a distribution, mm-hmm. what that costs are, mm-hmm. but it won't tell you any of the invoice costs to the employer, which you're not paying anyway, which they don't need to know anyway. Right, yeah, right? it'll tell you everything you need to know about the fees on your account. The challenge with that is that those those notices are you know seven, eight, ten pages long. Yeah, they get lost in the shuffle of four hundred emails a day. Right. And most people don't read them. Mm-hmm. And so it requires um, uh, that the employer sort of uh, inform their, their staff about the general, generally the cost structure yeah. of their retirement account so that they can make informed decisions. And one of them could be, yeah, given that the cost are X, I want to own this index fund to lessen my, my, right. fee, my fee right. load here, right? Or, or they could decide if it's a really expensive plan not, that to, participate. Made, not to participate or just participate to get their match and everything, and move else. everything else elsewhere. Right. right. Yep. And uh, so, um, which leads to the next question okay. is, uh, can you have a, um, for, say you're only putting 3% into your 401k plan, can you have an IRA on top of that? Yes, you can. Um, anybody that has earned income can have an IRA, can fund an IRA account. And we're talking about a traditional IRA now. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that is a deductible a contribution to the IRA, meaning you, you make that payment into the IRA and then you claim it on your tax return as a deductible. So, um, so you're not paying, con- so you're not paying tax. income tax on, yeah. the, on the contribution is, is, is based on your income and whether you're married or uh, filing a single tax return or married and filing jointly and whether you have access to a retirement plan through work, mm-hmm. right? And those income limits are based on your modified adjusted gross income. Um, and um, gen- I can tell you exactly what they are. So if you are covered under a 401k plan and you want to make an IRA contribution, and let's assume you're um, filing a joint tax return with a spouse, mm-hmm. um, your income, your, your phase out, what's called a phase out at the IRS level, your phase out to be to allow that to be a deductible contribution is 104 in terms of uh, adjusted gross income up to 124. So as you get closer to the 124 and reach it, mm-hmm. then you're completely phased out. At 104, you start the phase out process, and it's proportionate up to the 124 mark. So you can always make the contribution, but it may not be deductible. Mm-hmm. And if it's not deductible, but, how, but, but can you make any contribution you want? Yep, up to the six thousand dollar limit. Six thousand dollar limit. Yeah. So okay. if you're if you're under fifty years yeah. old, your limit for an IRA contribution on top of whatever you're doing in your four hundred one k plan is six thousand dollars. Okay. If you're fifty or older, 
it's a thousand dollars more. Uh-huh. Right? So seven thousand total. Yeah. And that limit applies to whether you're doing an IRA contribution or a Roth IRA contribution, mm-hmm. separate type of retirement account, but it's aggregated between the two. So if you put $3,000 in the Roth, mm-hmm. you can put $3,000 in the IRA, uh-huh. and that's your combined limit. Now, you can put more in and pay, ta- and pay taxes on it? You can't put more in. Okay. okay. Uh, but if that is not deductible, mm-hmm. right, if that, uh, go back to the IRA for a second. Oh, I see. If that contribution is not deductible, mm-hmm. right? Um, now you have a $6,000 contribution sitting in an IRA account that is after tax. Right. Right. So, so the only way to not be taxed on it twice is to keep the records with the IRS, um, every year. And you do that on a tax form called, uh, 8606. Uh-huh. So if you have that an account. sounds complicated. Right. So my advice to keep our worlds uh, simple. <laughs> as, as, uh, as simple as we can. As simple as we can is I, I, I'm not a huge advocate for non-deductible IRA contributions because mm-hmm. uh, nine out of 10 times uh, people lose track of that 8606 right. form and they're taxed twice on tax. The, right. So rather than dump that in the IRA, well, go put it in an individual account, brokerage account with your yeah. spouse, joint account, yeah. whatever it may be. Invest it, invest it tax efficiently with yeah. exchange traded funds or index funds, mm-hmm. stocks or bonds. I don't. The mix is yeah. to be determined later. Yeah, and move on. Yeah. Right? right, that's what I would do. So now I also have, in addition to our firm four hundred one k plan. I have a SEP IRA. Correct. And I assume I can do that and put more in because I'm self-employed. Because you're, because you're self-employed. Some plans, um, uh, the contribution limits on the plans themselves are not aggregated, right? Mm-hmm. So they can operate independently. And in your arrangement, the SEP IRA uh, can um, operate independently from the 401k mm-hmm. um, within a certain uh, limit, right? Yeah. Um, and some plans are aggregated. So in your case, uh, let's uh, assume you're putting in uh, 20, well, the limit for the 401k contributions for 2019 mm-hmm. um, were $19,000 uh, up to age 50. And if you're 50 or older, you can do an additional 6,000. So a total of 25. Okay. So, so that was my situation. Yeah. That's my, my limit. Great. So you're putting that money in out of your quote unquote paycheck, right? Yep. On top of that, the company will put in a contribution into the account. Mm-hmm. Um, and that contribution will be a matching contribution or maybe a profit sharing contribution of some sort. Um, and the combined limit uh, for someone under 50 in 2019 on that plan is between the two sources is $56,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So people always- That's quite a lot of money. It's a lot of money, yeah. yeah. It'll get you to your 15, 15% mark, yeah, right? Probably, I think yeah, we're good. Yeah, we right, got a lot, right. enough room there. But most people probably don't, I mean- Right. The average income might be less than 56000 That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So- um, So one more advantage for the high earners. One they, more they, advantage they for can, the high earners. They can- Put more stock, more money away, tax free. Yeah, and I, I, um, self-employed people, uh, just going a little bit of a tangent, yeah. uh, are somewhat disadvantaged because they pay both sides of the Social Security right, tax equation, yeah. right? So yeah. the seven point six five percent for their piece, and then yeah. they're also the employer, so they kick in right. the other. Side. Okay, so while they're disadvantaged for Social Security taxes. They're somewhat advantaged for retirement contributions because they don't have to be considerate of anybody else besides themselves, mm-hmm. right? So um, they could have their own 401k plan, for example, where they're putting in the 19500 um, And then they have room to put in what's called a profit-sharing contribution, mm-hmm. which is the lesser of 25% of your um, uh, income subject, subject to Social Security uh, taxes mm-hmm. um, or the cap on the plan, which in that case is 
uh, 56,000. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of room to put in more money into that account. Yeah. And so what you don't do in your 401k plan, you do, you bridge a gap in your set by array okay. to get you closer to that cap. Uh-huh. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So if we put, so if we put more into the 401k, then I wouldn't put it into the set. Yeah. You put less into it. Uh, Cause I just do what my accountant tells me to right. do every year. Yeah. Me too. And, and he or she figures it out. Right. <laughs> right. Perfect. Yeah. Well, at least you're at least you're telling them that you want to make contributions, which <laughs> right. is the, which is the starting point of this conversation. Right, right, right. So we've been talking about <clears throat> contributing, yeah, and a little bit about kind of what you may need when you retire. Um, and um, but let's let's switch gears a bit and talk about uh, you. You get to retirement age, mm-hmm. and that might be sixty five, might be seventy, it might be seventy five, um, but um, you're going to start withdrawing. And I know that at age uh, in the first. I always remember, forget the exact rule, but in the first year after you're 70 and a half, mm-hmm. you have to start withdrawing. Yeah. So what you're referencing is uh, what are called required minimum distributions or mandatory uh, forced distributions from your pre-tax retirement accounts. So yeah. those you funded, you've never paid tax on this money, right? You put yep. it in pre-tax um, uh, from your pre-tax retirement accounts. And the IRS says at age 70 and a half, in the year you turn age 70 and a half, so take your birthday, add six months to it, if that happens in a calendar year, whatever calendar year that happens in, that's the year you're subject to a required minimum distribution. Mm -hmm. And the way that is calculated is they take a look, the IRS takes a look at your your December 31st balance, the Mm -hmm. prior year balance, Mm -hmm. and then divides that by your life expectancy, which in that first year on their single life expectancy table is 27.4. Mm-hmm. So that works out to about a 3.65% distribution of that account. Mm-hmm. Well, think about it. If you had a $2 million account, yep. you're talking about withdrawing $70,000 on a forced basis at age 70 and a half, yep. right? Um, the exception to the required minimum distribution rule is if you're still working, mm-hmm and you're not a 5% owner or more of the company under which you're employed, mm-hmm. and you're still a participant there under the retirement plan on December 31st of the year in question, you don't have to take a required distribution from your 401k account. Mm-hmm. So just this week, we had a client come in, a mm-hmm. personal client, and they had an IRA with us, which was about $1.2 million. He turned 70 and a half in 2020. Mm-hmm. So um, I said to him, well, are you going to need any of your money? Yep. And he said, no, I don't want to take money out of my yeah. account if I don't have to. Yeah. Um, he works for a major corporation. He's mm-hmm. not a 5% owner. Mm-hmm. I said, so well, let's move this into your 401k account uh-huh. so that you don't have a balance on 1231 of this year and therefore won't be subject to require minimum distribution on the $1.2 million. So that exception is only for 401k plans, not for IRAs. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. Right. And I don't know, uh, this falls under a fiduciary standard, I guess, yeah. but I don't know how often that advice is given <laughs> yeah. because effectively what it does is it takes money out of the control of the advisor where <laughs> right, they get right. paid right, right. and puts it into the often, 401k yeah. plan where they're not getting paid. Right. But um, uh, from a fiduciary's perspective, yeah. it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, Right. So um, his retirement date, uh, it, he doesn't plan to retire between before age 75. Mm-hmm. So in that case, um, you know, he'll save. He'll, uh, he can basically postpone his he'll, withdrawals. Yeah, he'll save about $250,000. He won't he'll have to po- take po- about postpone it. Yeah, he'll <laughs> yeah. postpone about $250,000 worth of withdrawals yeah. right on the account. Right. Which is not small. Right. Uh, and it presumably is in a pretty high tax bracket. Right. 
when seventy five he may be in a smaller, lower tax bracket. Correct. Right. So we're we're you know over that period of time, that's a, a you know at least a, a, a fifty thousand dollar tax bill that you're probably not paying. <coughs> you're not paying. Yeah. You're not probably paying a lot more. Yeah. Right. Um, so it makes sense to do it. Yeah. Now, when he retires, even if he leaves his money in his 401k, for example, he'll have to take a required distribution, right, right. in the year you retire. So at that point, you know, the IRA is uh, by far uh, the, the easier vehicle to withdraw money from mm -hmm. and to take money out of versus the 401k. The 401k could have transaction fees and mm -hmm. restrictions on the frequency in which you can take your money. Um, it's just not easy. Yeah. Whereas an IRA, you can say, well, I got to take a $10,000 required distribution, send me a check on the 15th of every month, less the taxes, uh -huh. no problem, that's done. Yeah, um, It's just simple. Yeah, um, So that's an example of required distributions. But if you were, if, we, if we're a small company, like in my case, a yeah. small law practice, if um, he, if he owns, if he still owned more than 5% right. or 5% even, then he wouldn't have this option. Right, because 5% owners or, or higher, people that own 5% or more of the company, are subject to the required distribution rules, even in the 401k. It's yeah. only for those that don't own at that threshold. Yeah, so um, so you get to 70 and a half and you start withdrawing and it's 3.65% right. it's your first year and then it goes up a little year, right. every year as your life expectancy goes down a little bit Exactly, yeah. And, uh, and eventually, in theory, if you live long enough, you'll take it all out. But yeah, it, uh, I, I looked at this prior to this uh, podcast. Uh -huh. uh, the the I'll give you ballparks here. Yeah. So at age seventy, it's about four percent of your account balance, yeah. three point six five. Yeah. At age eighty, it's about um, um, uh, it's about five uh, percent of your account balance. At age mm -hmm. ninety, it's about ten percent of your account so balance. Because because presumably you're going to take ten percent every year and. But the problem is you're still leaving 90%. So uh, correct. Right. The IRS uh, never goes below a 1.9% uh, a 1.9 year life expectancy. Uh, okay. And that doesn't come into play until you reach age 115. So, so then you have to take half out. Yeah. Right. At 115, you're taking half of the yeah. account balance yeah. out, basically. So you're almost always going to, unless you just decide to take it out. Leave it inheritance. You're, oh, yeah. So, um, so let's talk about beneficiary designations. All right. So, uh, one of the most important things about retirement accounts is that they, people need to know that they pass by beneficiary designation, right? Um, and that designation could be an individual, it could be a trust, for example. Mm -hmm. There's a, a bunch of variations that you would work out with your estate planner, Margolis yep. uh, and Bloom, for example. <laughs> and um, uh, the when you inherit an account, um, there are different considerations for a spouse inheriting an account versus another individual, for example. Mm -hmm. So under the current rules, and this may change with the SECURE Act that is in the Senate, but hasn't gone anywhere. Mm -hmm. The House passed it overwhelmingly, and now it's just- stuck Both, both parties were on the same side. Uh, the House passed the SECURE Act. I think it was like uh, there are three, uh, three individuals not in favor of it and 400 and something in favor of wow. it. So uh, overwhelming support of okay. it. And now it's just sitting in the Senate, okay. stalled out. So, um, but under the current rules, um, if you name your spouse as the beneficiary of a retirement account, 
the spouse has the option to move that account into their own retirement account. Mm -hmm. It's the only way that you can take on someone else's retirement account as if it were your own. Mm -hmm. Literally a movement of the money from- You gotta marry the person. That's right. You gotta be married and uh, stay married. And they have to die. And they have to die. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And if they do do that, if those two things apply, then you can move the money into your own retirement account. You can also get divorced and do a quadro. You can do that too. I'll leave that to you. Okay. and, and then once the money's in the spouse's account under their name, the required distribution rules of that individual will kick in, the age 70 and a half, mm-hmm. whatever their life expectancy, the, the, apply the surviving spouse. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If it, a non-spouse takes over an account, so um, presume I'm not married, I name my uh, siblings as beneficiaries of my retirement account, um, they take on that account, um, they are subject to required distributions in year one but it's based on their life expectancy. So if that happened today, I'm 41 years old, um, and they're similar ages, uh, they would have a long period of time to stretch out they're that. Not, they're not taking out 3.65%, right. uh, they're taking out uh, 1.2% or whatever. Yeah, maybe, yeah. right, maybe. Yeah. So a uh, very low percentage. Yeah. And so in any given year, once they inherited that account, they can either opt to just take the minimum required by law, yeah. or take as much as they want up to the entire account But balance. it'll be taxable. Uh, it'll be taxable, taxable, but even if they're under 59 and a half, not subject to the 10% right. penalty, that goes away okay. once you inherit the account. Uh-huh. So you could, that's called the stretch IRA. So they can't, they can't wait until they're 70 and a half correct. to start taking out, but they can take out whatever they want with no penalty. That's correct. Okay. Uh, the required amount at a, and this a, is as a minimum. this inherited IRA. Inherited IRA, or sometimes you'll see it labeled as a beneficiary designated IRA. Okay. Uh, with the label BDA on it. Right? Okay. Um, but either way, a non-spouse can take on that account and stretch it out over their life expectancy. Mm-hmm. That's called, a, if you ever hear the term stretch IRA, that's yeah. a stretch IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, under the SECURE Act, however, the proposal is to uh, allow the stretch to only go on for 10 years. So at the end of the 10-year period, um, mm-hmm. all of the money would have to come out of that inherited IRA. Mm-hmm. Okay, So very va- vastly different set of rules, yeah. not in favor of the uh, person inheriting the account. Right, right, right. Okay. And and currently, if you don't name a beneficiary, so it's pay, it ends up being payable to your estate, right. you have five years. You have five years, right. right. And that I assume that's not changed by the security. That, uh, no, okay. uh, not that I know of. Okay. Um, so that that is true. So the importance of naming a beneficiary is you control uh, more so for the people that are inheriting your account. Right. Uh, you preserve their options in yeah. retirement. Whereas if you don't name a beneficiary, um, the IRS presume on a 401k account, they presume that the spouse is the beneficiary regardless of what's on any form, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But on an IRA, it's not like that. There's no um, default designation to the spouse. Mm-hmm. So the IRA literally needs to name a beneficiary. And if it doesn't, it becomes part of your taxable estate. Um, your estate gets distributed based on probate. And then you have uh, a five-year period of time, which to take the money out of and the pay account. the taxes on exactly yep. yeah if it's a small account it might not matter but right. it might be easier just not to deal with it well but just name a beneficiary yeah. I, and well, resolve but, all that right they can decide right right so that's somebody you just said something I, I didn't I didn't know so if it's a four hundred one k plan the spouse is presumed to be the beneficiary if no one else is named the default beneficiary is the spouse wow so. That's, uh, that that and can be you, useful, assuming you're married. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, and if you're married and you don't want your spouse to be the primary beneficiary, there's a required form that needs to be filled out. It's got to be notarized mm-hmm. that names someone other than your spouse as the 100% uh, uh, beneficiary on your retirement account. Mm-hmm. 
So any deviation from 100% on your spouse requires a spousal consent form filled uh-huh. on the 401k side. Okay. So different rules for IRA than than qualified plans. Yeah. But you can also you can name your spouse and a uh, and a um, successor beneficiary just yes. in case she she he or she yeah. doesn't survive. You. That's the difference between uh, first in line to get the money and yeah. then second in line yeah. to get the money. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but when you have two primaries, for example, uh, your spouse getting ninety percent and someone else getting ten percent, well, that requires a consent form. Yeah, cool. So um, so Chad, you you it's Samuel Financial, right? Um, you you run our four hundred one k plan, right? Which is great. And uh, what other services you pro- do you provide in this realm? And how would someone find you if they were interested? Um, so when we advise retirement accounts, um, we do we only act as a fiduciary. Uh, the The advisory world is divided into two parts: those that broker retirement plans and those that advise them. Mm-hmm. The advisory side is uh, falls under a fiduciary obligation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only charge a fee for service, which could be a percentage of the plan assets, or it could be a flat dollar amount, like we talked about before. Um, in the general services, we we apply can be divided into two parts. Uh, one, uh, support for the employer in every way. So transitioning the plan to a new provider, finding that new provider, um, providing advice about the investment menu, providing advice about the plan design, which is very important, um, uh, fiduciary obligations, compliance, everything that, that the employer has on their plate when they decide to offer a retirement plan, we support. How many employers do you work with now? Uh, about 65. Mm-hmm. Um, and that covers probably 5,000 participants. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also, uh, when we act as an advisor to a 401k plan, we provide participant advice. So mm-hmm. the other part of our model is that we sit down with people and when you're in a fiduciary role like we are, um, the law allows you to actually give advice, uh, which is very different from just giving broad education, mm-hmm. right? So we can sit down and say, hey, well, tell me about your circumstances. Um, let's give you some specific advice uh, that, that's tailored to that, right? Yeah. As opposed to, here are the limits on the plan. Generally, you should use a target date retirement fund. Yeah. Good luck, right? Yeah. Those, right. Those, those are different right. things. So we do both the participant side and the employer side. Um, and uh, on the personal side, it's wealth management that encompasses the whole of one's you know financial situation. Yeah. And oftentimes that integrates with legal services like yours mm-hmm. or tax work, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I can be reached, you know, uh, through yep. samuelfinancial.com or on the 401k side, it's F, S, F as in Frank, uh, 401k.com. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Chad Gutner at Samuel Financial, uh, uh-huh. or just Google it, uh, uh-huh. Chad Gutner, and that's what will pop up. Um, so that, those are broadly the services we, services we provide. I mean, we're going into some changing times in the retirement plan space, which are exciting, but also require some, you know, background information is, you know, appropriately, appropriately navigate, uh, what's going to happen down the road. Both for companies and individuals. Both. Yeah. I, I don't think, uh, uh, one's less complex than the other. Yeah. They're, they both have their, um, their complexities that are, uh, just like anything else, uh, uh, if you're not in that world, uh, it's hard to understand sometimes. Yep. So even if it's just helping figure out which ends up, you know, mm-hmm. what does this fee disclosure document say, which I, I can be concerned about, this is how my company plan operates. As simple as I don't even understand the matching program. How do yep. I get advice about that? Yeah. Um, all of those things are important to address. Good. Well, you've helped me a lot and explained a lot of things today, Chad. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. 
If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. If you're interested in Harry's book, Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, please visit margolis.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S dot com. Ask Harry is a production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.